This is the best album ever, the show that takes a look at one of the greatest albums of all time and digs deep into not only why it ranks up there, but also what about it personally affects my guest. I'm your host, Ben Helms, and today we're not just talking about an album, but we're talking about one of the most historically significant musical events in modern history. Uh, We're going to dive deep into all the music, the history, the artists, the people that were there, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And of course, my guest's experience with all of that. Uh, Speaking of which, in celebration of Father's Day, which is the day we're recording this, uh, my guest for today's musical journey is, of course, my mother, Glee Helms. Thank (laughs) Uh, you. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Best Album Ever, Mom. Uh, Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, You've listened to a couple episodes already, right? So you kind of get the gist of the layout of the show and... You've listened to all of the albums. I think you dove deep really into To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, that episode. I, I, I did not, but your older brother's very interested in him also, so I have heard of this man. He is. You have heard of Kendrick Lamar. Okay, so very nice. Uh, but yeah, my mom, uh, Glee Helms, she was a, a nurse practitioner for 25, 30 years. 150. 157 years. You were in the Air Force, I believe, mm-hmm. just after Vietnam. Just after. Just after Vietnam. Months. Uh, and you, we've even looked up the definition, and we've decided that you, yes, indeed, were a hippie. Yes, I was. Right? Yes. Did you consider yourself a hippie? Yes. Oh, you did at the time? Okay. Yeah. Fly, like flower child, whole thing? Absolutely. Wow, I dressed, okay. you know, I had a suede vest with lots of fringe. I had sure. bell-bottom pants. Of course. I love beads. Um, another thing is uh, when I went to San Francisco once, I went into a head shop. I don't know what that is. A head shop. I believe that a head shop was... You're using hippie terminology already, man. I know. I know you could get beads there, love beads there, but you could get, like, pipes Oh, for smoking stuff, and that sure. just seemed like a neat thing for me to get. Didn't smoke. Okay, okay. sure. <laughs> but I was ready in case. Just in case. It, you know, I tried to be prepared. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, let's get to the album. When I When I asked you a few weeks ago... To be on, if you wanted to be on the show, if you had an album, what was maybe the best album of all time, one of the greatest albums? Uh, did you know immediately that it was this album? Did this one stick out to you, or did you have a couple that you had to kind of wade through and listen to to choose from? I didn't. I felt it was an important question. Yeah, and uh, that I should know it right away. Yeah. Uh, so I thought immediately of my favorite artists yeah. and uh, what I liked uh, at different times. I was crazy about folk music uh, when I was in my teens and my 20s and 30s and even now in my I'm 70 and then I thought I liked country music and I thought well gee Johnny Cash was a favorite of mine maybe yeah. I should choose him yeah but I didn't didn't know if if I could select uh Woodstock because it was multiple artists it's the daunted various artists right under artists and it right. was so many because it was country it right. was, uh, there was no rap, I don't believe. I don't think, I don't think it arrived yet. No, not, not to New York at least yet. But there was, uh, I mean, just think of the, the, the Latin music from Santana yeah. and the, the folk songs uh, of, um, Arlo Guthrie, who I'd already discovered. Yep. Lots of rock, obviously. Right. And some rockabilly even in there. Mm-hmm. If you could call Country Joe, maybe some rockabilly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the most surprising things to me. We should mention the album. <laughs> Well, I just thought of where I was and what changed me and just a brief history. I uh, am one of the earliest baby boomers because I was born in 1947 and I was raised in a small farming community that also had a a small college there. Yeah. And I was kind of the nerd in school. 
I liked to read. I liked to to study history and things. And when I went to college, I discovered a whole new group of people who liked me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked them. And uh, the uh, Vietnam War was had been going on for 10 years by that time. Wow. And uh, yeah. I had friends that were going over to Vietnam. When I graduated from college, there was uh, – or high school, excuse me um, – probably at least 30 guys from my high school went to Vietnam. Wow. And you didn't – grew up in like downtown Chicago or whatever. Like you grew up in a very rural place, not no. a huge school. Yeah. No. And so um, I have since talked to them because we have reunions all the time. Oh, nice. And so and I know some of their, I did. Yeah. I did move back there for about 10 years. Um, Recently. A, a year, two yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I got to know about their experiences and talked wow. to them. Uh, there was four women in my graduating class that served in the military that I know of from high school. And the class was like 220, I think. Which you were telling me was pretty rare to be yeah, a woman absolutely. in the military in, absolutely. The, in the 60s. Absolutely. Yeah. And there were very few women who, in my class that went to college right after graduation. And you were one of them? I was one of them. Um, so anyway, my, my feelings about the war were really, really strong. And uh, anti-war. Anti-war. Okay. Always anti-war. My, so my motion went my, my just real quick to listeners, not viewers, because this is, again, this is an auditory medium, not a visual one. I motioned to my mom kind of a left or right shrug when she said my emotions were strong. Because I didn't know, honestly, right. how you felt. Because, again, I already said you were in the Air Force for a few years. Right, so. but that didn't happen until after. Right, so I'm and interested I'll, to hear how you got from... I'll from tell you it. about yeah, that yeah, yeah. after I tell you about this. Okay, okay. Um, yes, I had friends. And while I was in high school... Several people from my high school were killed in Vietnam. And uh, at night, when we would watch Walter Cronkite on television, we actually saw scenes of the actual war that was happening, and they showed people dying. They actually saw, and I never ever, it wasn't a movie to me. Right. And it wasn't what I thought of war was, because I loved war movies. Yeah. As a child. Yeah. yeah. And what, what kind of movies would these be they in the were, 50s, 60s? They were romantic. Sure. Uh, I w- went to college, and what was different about my four years of college experience the, rather than the, the average 18-year-old at that time is I only had one year of being on a huge college campus, and the rest of the year was at a huge medical center in Indianapolis, Indiana. And so I was dealing with life and death every day. Gotcha. I was a nursing student. I saw people who had uh, ingested drugs. I saw bad trips, people that didn't return from their LSD trips. Wow. So the drug scene, although I was, I, I saw it, and I went to parties where people were smoking uh, and were inhaling things. I didn't do it, only because I just had a bad feeling that I, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, and in my family, we blamed every bad thing that ever happened to us was because your dad's an alcoholic. So I just assumed. So that's why alcohol didn't appeal to me. And I kind of was afraid that maybe I would be susceptible to drugs, that I might become a drug addict. Uh, Addictive personality would be heretic. And so uh, I became more and more interested and involved in the the anti-war movement by listening to albums and mostly folk folk Mm -hmm. singers, uh, Pete Seeger. Right. Um, to name one. Sure. That's hey, You can name any of the ones on this album. Uh, Arlo Guthrie. Yeah. 
With Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, either of them? or Joan Baez, especially. Joan, Joan Baez, okay. Uh, and I was also coming to into my own as a Christian. Oh, okay. And like Jesus freak? I was, I was not a Jesus freak. Oh, different. Okay. Yeah, I was a bit more conservative than oh, they, they okay. were. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. So uh, I had uh, become a Christian when I was 13 years old, but um, I really developed a very close relationship with, with, with Jesus and, and really uh, felt convicted that the war was wrong it was mm. wrong somehow i didn't when i thought of other wars where we defended ourselves mm-hmm. yeah uh this was different right and uh uh and i think that it was personal i knew people that died people right. that i knew uh and i did i know men that died i didn't know women but i knew their their widows right, right. closely and so i think that made a, a big difference uh, so I armed myself with this information for that I got from uh, folk singers, mm-hmm. and uh, again, this is before internet, Twitter. So it's either from from news outlets, from newspapers and TV, or from musical artists, right? And I movies, think I guess, would be artists, kind of the biggest influences from people out of your town. Yes, yes. Then uh, I graduated from college in 1969, mm-hmm. and um, the Woodstock event happened the 1st of August of 1969. Mm-hmm. And the 1st of September, I moved to New York City. Oh, wow. Okay. And that by this time, I was, a, I was a nurse, and I worked in a cancer research hospital. Okay. And so that was serious stuff. Sure. You know, almost all my patients died. Oh, wow. I worked in pediatrics. Oh, my gosh. And it's such an exciting thing to think oh, that... The same children that die, I mean, nowadays, children don't die of leukemia many times. Yeah. Most of the time. Right. This is a different era. But kids that came in with diagnoses, right. they were all going to die eventually. Right, right, right. So it was a pretty uh, emotional thing for me. It's a rough couple of years for you educationally yeah. and personally. But th- this was a, a month after Woodstock happened that I was in New oh. York City. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I started meeting people. I went to the to the Greenwich Village because I'd heard that's where the hippies that's where would the hang cool out. Kids hang out, right? So I met a bunch of hippies, right? And they invited me to uh, their drug parties. Sure. And right. they and you they, had the pipe. I, I on had hand. The, I, I did. I had there the pipe. Go. I was ready, but but nothing happened sure. there. But I learned about anti-war uh, protests, and I oh, participated okay. in uh, some anti-war marches. And from listening to other people talk who had a lot more eloquence than me, I then became a little bit more eloquent and actually found my voice, that it was okay to um, go against the establishment. In fact, I wasn't really crazy about the establishment at that by that time. Sure. So that's when, you obviously, you heard Woodstock mm-hmm. was happening, had happened, and how did it become, how did it turn into this album for you that was formative and kind of appeal to all your senses politically and personally and emotionally oh that's a real easy question isn't it there you go <laughs> one sentence please in one sentence uh, uh 13 words or less yes um i i think that it started slow enough that my friends that i hung out with in greenwich village told me that they'd been to woodstock okay but i didn't don't remember listening to the music uh until i got the album okay and just a heads up, the the album you're talking about, again, is is Woodstock, obviously, but it's there's there are probably hundreds of Woodstock albums, if not many, many dozens. Uh, the one you're talking about is, is one of the originals, 
it's it's called Woodstock colon music from the original soundtrack and more. And more we'll get into, obviously, but uh, it's it's from the film entitled Just Woodstock. Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of key. Oh, baby, have so the movie that it's based on came out in, in March 1970. The album came out that was based on it. It was the soundtrack for that movie, basically. It was the, is the 21 songs they'd picked from all of Woodstock. Uh, they're all, again, in that movie uh, that came out in May 1970. Uh, so just uh, two months after the, the movie came out. Uh, but the movie, again, it was... I, I'd never... I haven't seen it. You saw it recently. Uh, but it's two and a half hours long, almost. It's pretty long. They have At a least. lot of concerts... A lot of performances in it, obviously. A lot of backstage stuff, interviews with artists, interviews with people around those farms. It was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, which was, I guess, shocking to me because I, I thought it was so countercultural, just the idea of Woodstock to me, that it was going to be, oh, it was almost like an underground B-movie thing uh, or independent movie. But it was, yeah, it was nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Sound, and actually won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Film in 1970. Uh, and it was also screened at Cannes that year. So just this international, huge movie that this this was the soundtrack of that movie and just a soundtrack of that time it was oh and, and one of the assistant directors and co-editors for the film you told me I looked this up not that I didn't believe you I just wanted to, to fact check was Martin Scorsese one of his first film credits well he I, I think he hadn't been out of film school for very long yeah and uh he just knew a guy who knew a guy who I knew think someone that was it yeah 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 that's just crazy. I don't know that this led to bigger and better stuff for him. I think he was, before it became more famous, he was already ready to go sure. to bigger and better sure. stuff. But it's, it's a nice thing to have it? in his filmography, though. That's pretty cool. Uh, the fellow that actually produced it, Michael Wheatley or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, Michael Waldai. Okay. I don't know that he be, became a hugely successful. He, he mm. did some biographies. I, I think he did a Jimi Hendrix biography and it, no he did a janice joplin biography and things from michael waldai by the way yeah. the uh the same hometown that uh the two other greatest basketball players of all time are from steph curry lebron james okay akron ohio okay there he goes yeah sorry i just had to throw that. anytime akron is thrown out there i have to mention the warriors so and i guess that other guy uh but yeah so you did you see the movie at the time Yes. You did. Okay. So when you saw the movie, was it the movie or the album? Do you remember which one kind of. I can't remember. They both came out both close to the same thing, but I might have gotten. And you say the movie came out in March and the album came out. Okay. I I think I must have seen the movie first. Okay. And um, there were several things that shocked me about the movie. Oh, really? It was rated X, but I'm not sure that it had that rating at the time. Not X. I get X and R mixed up. Sure. (laughs) It was R. (laughs) Right. And uh, so there was the F word in it right. numerous times. Uh, there were a lot of naked people. Sure. And I had already, being a New Yorker then, seen the stage play Hair. Okay. And at the end of that, everybody comes out naked. Sure. The very last that. part of it. I had no idea. Uh, well, they're all under this great big blanket that fills the stage, and it has holes in it, and they pop up individually at the end of the song, and they're naked. Okay. Uh, so that was shocking. Yes. Uh, then uh, there was naked scenes mm-hmm. of uh, folks having sex, but you didn't see them. They they bent down underneath the bushes. Sure, sure. People, it was insinuated. People swimming naked. Sure. And just uh, the children. I was I was surprised that the ch- that there was children 
yeah. that, that were uh, were there. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. To to me, Woodstock, and I've listened to a lot of these recordings before. Not this album specifically. Mostly uh, the Jimi Hendrix stuff, the Crosby, Stills and Nash stuff, uh, and uh, the Queens Clearwater was re- released just in the past few years that I listened to when that came out. Uh, which again doesn't make it to this album, but they were at Woodstock, obviously. Uh, but this to me was kind of an outlier of concerts of the sixties and seventies because, and there's a lot of live releases and performances of a lot of these artists, but Woodstock is always the one that's kind of held as this Holy grail of of performances for most of them. And it it had all these kind of singularly notable acts and notable moments from almost all of these performances. It was kind of this moment in time. It was the people who were in attendance and it was kind of the reason for their attendance that made this blow up into the fact that, you know, there's 400,000 people there estimated and it was supposed to be like 40 to 50,000 a day over three or four days. Uh, yeah. They had said no more than 50,000 a day. Yeah. And so it just exploded in attendance. And again, it was this anti-war movement philosophy within everyone. So everyone for the most part, you know, got along at least philosophically. Uh, and yeah. I think I also, we talked briefly when you brought this up that I thought of this as kind of the pinnacle of the early teenage movement. And again, this is long before I was born. So feel free to correct me if, if you see this a different way or if I'm just wrong, at least in America, you know, you had, Stateside, right? The Beatles, obviously coming over from from Europe, but stateside, the Beatles, the Monkees, Beach Boys, kind of that era of the fifties and sixties rock music, and and other, I guess, rock bands of the fifties and sixties, kind of helped invent that teenage demographic, which was like this new group, this post war group of young people that were too old to be kids, but were too young to be adults, and they were, had this expendable income for the first time, right? This is post depression, post war, new America. And it soon melded with this anti-war movement that you were speaking to of the 60s and 70s before Vietnam ended to me seemed like the significant point where all of these voices finally kind of came together physically in this space. They were able to talk to each other, commune with each other, and not only know that there, yes, it's confirmation that other people outside of my small town or my city or my state have these beliefs, share these values of anti-war, peace, love uh, in a very non stereotypical peace love way right that we almost make fun of now when we do make the peace sign with our hands and we say peace love or forrest gump it's this kind of characterized version of that right this is a very real way this is who these people are internally as people very deep to their core but also musically their musical heroes uh and icons not only share their philosophies but championed them publicly and they knew that after this show and before they would go on and take their voices and spread them across the united states across the world saying, you know, it's, this isn't just your small town values. This is, this is a world, this is a, a universal truth that you hold that we were helping to spread, which I thought was kind of this cool thing. It, was, it wasn't only just another concert, you know what I mean? But it stood up to all of these different reasons. Which the more I dove into it, the more it kind of, it seemed to, to confirm a lot of the feelings, I guess, I had about Woodstock. I would say that I, I did a little bit of research my, myself. It was the largest. Oh, there you go. Uh, I think the, before that, maybe... 50,000, 60,000 at, wow. at an event. So it and, blew away the right. records. Okay, wow. But I just a background that. is what happened is there was very little, well, there was no security. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, The producers built some fencing and people started coming. And once it filled up, uh, there was no box office. There was no ticket takers. No will call. Yeah, no, none of that. Geek. And so uh, people, the people that came uh, started tearing down the fence so that they could get in. Naturally. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, are just coming. Was and it $3 a day? No, no. No, $18 a day. What I was think, it? I think so. It was a, I think it was about um, 
$18 a day. I, I have it someplace. That's okay. Um, it was, yeah. It wasn't dirt cheap. It, it wasn't. Yeah. And, and then, uh, but I don't think they expected everybody to stay for four days. Right. Three, three days. They expected everybody, you know, a different group. They were going to clear it out every day. And they did. They had given out uh, who was going to be there mm-hmm. so people knew and when, when they were going to going to sing. However, there wasn't an internet. Right, right. You know, there wasn't uh, Instagrams. Right. There wasn't any way that uh, that nobody was texting anybody in right. those days uh, because that, that wasn't there. So whereas now if something happens anywhere, the whole world hears about it within 20 minutes. There will be five notifications on my phone right now right. If, if a Woodstock was going, right, like Coachella every year. Yeah. It's kind of the, the annual Woodstock in the sense that it's it's the biggest concert of the year in America happens in, in near Palm Springs in California. And it's hundreds of thousands of people show up every single year. And you have Beyonce, you had a holo, holographic Tupac played a couple of years ago. Like it's a life Tupac or death. Tupac could biggest. not have played it a couple of years ago. Holographic they, or oh, hologram. Oh, I see what Hologra- you mean. It was like a hologram okay. of Tupac. Anyway, but yeah, you have the biggest artists in the world playing there. And I get, you know, Twitter is all, it's all, Social media is about for four or five days or whatever, however long Coachella lasts every year. So, yeah, it's that couldn't have happened back then. It probably didn't even make whatever newspaper on the West Coast was going on. But the technology that grabbed it was TV. Mm, okay. In the, the uh, as far as the war and the feeling right, about right, the war. Right. Okay. Because we saw it on television for the first time. We saw war. Now, right. soldiers that are fighting can be texting their family at home. Yeah. Straight from the battlefield. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Say, I, I'm, this is my mission for the next three days. I'll text you as soon as I'm done kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just to get kind of the more technical aspects, we can keep it personal later for sure. Or if, we, if you want to dive into any of that, just let me know. But kind of get more of the background of the recording and everything. It was recorded. Woodstock took place August 15th to 18th, 1969. The whole thing was recorded on an eight-track recording console uh, and was released uh, as a triple album on May 11th, 1970. The person who was the sound engineer during the three day event was longtime producer and rock and roll hall of famer, uh, Eddie Kramer, who recorded David Bowie, the Beatles, Clapton, Hendrix, the Kings, kiss Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, Carlos. It's like who's who of rock and roll, the 60s, 70s and 80s. Eddie Kramer was the guy. And this is, he was a young man when when this was recorded. Uh, So it's a good guy to have behind the console mixing all of this. In 2017, Woodstock, the, the festival site was listed as national register for historic places. It was bought by a billionaire 15, 20 years ago, and converted to it has this kind of arts center on it now, uh, so it's no, no no longer a farm, or at least there's a, there's a center there that isn't a farm, which is kind of cool to keep it. People drive by; they don't want to be like it's that farm over there, but they can actually go to the cultural site and appreciate art that happened there, which I think is kind of a cool a cool way. Maybe we'll go there someday. I think that'd be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, found out the couple on the cover. So the cover is a picture of Woodstock, and it's this this um, man and woman kind of huddled together in a blanket. And they are still together. They weren't married at the time. They end up getting married, having kids, and they're still together, which I thought was kind of a cool anecdote. I just assumed it was kind of two random people huddled, huddled for warmth. But to find out they're still together 50, 60 years later, it's pretty cool. If you, Yeah, because if you decide to Google any of this, sure. the, the first thing or is... Or Bing it. Or, oh, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you did that on purpose. No, it's you? just it's the Microsoft version of Google. <laughs> okay, well, if you, if if you, you search it. If you Google yes. Woodstock... That's what you would see. You would see right. the album with that picture on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, said he. 
so the, the album, getting into the, the kind of the track list, it's and we'll, we can go song by song or at least artist by artist because the whole thing is is it's 21 songs, but it's probably like 12 different artists maybe because there's two or three songs by the same artist a few times. And again, it's two hours, 20 minutes long. So it's pretty lengthy. We sat down. I'm glad you were here in person. We were able to sit down and listen to pretty much everything together, which was really nice. Uh, but it's very emotional, kind of raw performances, very honest and earnest discussions between band members, a lot of announcements going on, which the first hour, maybe I was just not hallucinating. Maybe I was just lulled into this because the first hour I didn't like it. I didn't like that it was, you know, there'd be an, a minute of silence or a minute and a half. One of the tracks ends and there's a minute and a half snow, uh, rainstorm that ends the track. And it's just, you hear wind and you hear people yelling at each other because they can't hear each other over all the wind and the mud and the rain. And there's a minute and a half of that. And then you hear people announcing, you hear the guy whose farm it was come on and make an announcement. The, the promoter come on at one point and say that it's a record attendance and he's reading articles from newspapers talking about how peaceful it is. And a lot of things on this album, I'd say 20 to 30 minutes of it aren't music, but it's the band talking. It's artists talking to the crowd, talking to each other, a lot of chatter, a lot of banter, which I thought was cool. Very, I would say very unique because a lot of live albums have that, but it was, it was very surprising to have that big of a percentage of this album just be be talking. Was that something that stood out to you upon re-listening? It was because when I re-listened to it, one of the things, one of the first announcements, uh, not the first, but one of the first announcements is everybody stay away from the brown acid. <laughs> the right. brown That's acid right. is bad. And to have that, <laughs> to hear that, I'm right. thinking, oh my gosh, that this they couldn't have that on an album. Right. You yeah. Because that, that That's surely, aren't there censors? Right, right. <laughs> And Tipper Gore would not allow that. No, no, no. And and so th- there was a, a a lot of things in there uh, about that. Oh, I know one of the things in there about the storm. It was a bad storm, yeah. and and that they you know they tell people that uh, you just have to sit it out. You might want to uh, look at a picture of Woodstock because there are five hundred thousand people, so most of the people couldn't see. The performers. It's it's overwhelming. Picture so you, that, yeah. so and it's like they're right next to each other, and to and literally, if pe- I think that was a safety announcement mm-hmm. because it, it, people could have died if they tried to get out of that storm. And there was you, you were telling me that there was a lot of artists who either couldn't make it or, or were delayed significantly because the highways were closed at one point. Right. right. I, I I have to look it up. I think Canned Heat was supposed to be okay. first, but they couldn't. Get in, get get in there because the roads were closed. Right, because wow. it was just like that much that much traffic, and so Richie Havens had arrived, and they and they asked him to uh, open up, and just they they were waiting for the real bands to show sure. up, right, right, and uh, the real bands didn't show up until I think he played for what how long over three hours or ten hours or something like that. Can he? Richie no, Havens. Richie Havens. Oh wow, jeez. So he opened it. Yeah. And um just kept singing and singing and one of the songs that he's most famous for is Freedom. Yeah. And he combined it, mixed it with Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. Mm. And this was the first time he'd done this and all of a sudden he was improvising it and it went on for a long time, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Yeah. And um when I looked at the movie later on, they follow him, and he's still chanting freedom. You look at him, and when he's finished with the song, his hands are still strumming. 
Wow. Uh, it's like a runner who finishes a run and has to still run a little bit. Right, right, right. And and I wanted to, maybe you don't want to talk about this yet, but another thing that is the year before 1969 was mm -hmm. 1968. Sure. Yeah. Uh, 67 is called the Summer of Love, that right. when the hippies invaded uh, Haight-Ashbury. Right. But 68 is when Martin Luther King was killed. Lyndon Johnson was president, and they'd passed the Civil Rights Bill. Robert Kennedy, who I met when yeah. I was in nursing school. Wow. Uh, he got out of his limo, and I was the first person there. What year was that? This was 1968. The same year he died. Um, it was while he was running. Yeah, so probably that same summer, yeah. He saw me and immediately put his hand out to mine and grabbed my hand and shook it and moved on. I was just shocked because I didn't expect him to stop there and that. Wow. that was, so that was So then he died, and I thought, somebody wow. I knew died. Yeah. And uh, the, the biggest event for me then was uh, the convention in the summer of 1968. Right. In Chicago, the Democratic Convention, Lyndon Johnson had already said he would not seek or run or be president again, mm -hmm. uh, even if he was voted in. Uh, he was done. And it was it was mainly the Vietnam that caused that. Uh, JFK died in 1963. Lyndon B. Johnson became president, then was elected again after yes. that. And then, obviously, uh, Bobby Kennedy was going to be was kind of the the front runner for that. He died in June of 68. So by the Democratic Convention, it was kind of open at that point, right? Right. And I was home uh, for the summer from from uh, between my junior and senior year. And again, we had television that was giving us live shots of what was happening. Right. And uh, so I saw hippies. Yeah. And I saw other people who weren't hippies, and they were in the park across from the convention center, and the police were beating them right. with their nightsticks. The police were taking hoses to them uh, and trying to spray them. Right. The the police uh, were uh, you know beating them up. I also heard, although the news didn't report it, that the hippies and other people that were protesting against it were throwing bags of human feces at them. At the cops? At the cops. Okay. I heard that too. Um, but that, I thought, doesn't matter. They shouldn't have hurt those people. Those sure. people were not carrying uh, weapons, and they shouldn't They shouldn't have civil done rights. that. Are you talking about civil rights movement? I was No, that was the anti-war people. Oh, they anti -war. were mostly oh, anti-war okay. people. But the civil, right, right, the civil rights part was, was major. That was important to me. And when I thought later, now, not at the time, I saw Richie Havens or heard Richie Havens, but only just recently what it feels like an to be an African-American. And, and my family tree is filled with people who were so brutally treated. And how would that change the way I felt as a person? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. And so as he's singing freedom, he may not be talking about the same freedom right. that the folks who were attending, yes. which were mostly white middle class people children freedom 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 sometimes i feel like i'm a child that's a great point because as i was i was before i listened to the album i was just i have a section of my notes that's just previous knowledge and it's kind of what i said earlier of just kind of this is the pinnacle 
of teenageness, right? And it's this triumphant uh, kind of um, expression of of we are here, we will not be silenced of anti-war, of the teenage demographic, and it is very triumphant for white middle class. Mm-hmm. Which again, that's what I grew up at. So I, I relate to that. I understand that. That's what I see. That's the lens that I see through. And it's really important to have some context of like that's that's not everyone's view. Even the people that were were performing and in attendance. That's that is that is not the Woodstock experience for everyone. That's not what all of the words and all of the lyrics mean to everyone. So that, that's a that's a great point that I I did not think about when I first or I hadn't thought about much before diving into Woodstock the, mm-hmm. the past couple of days. Do oh, you want to get in the track list or at least kind of go pick a couple of artists to go? Go through? Yeah. We don't need to necessarily talk about every single track, but we can kind of go through and, and kind of maybe let's let's talk about which which song specifically stuck at, stood out to you fifty years now. Mm-hmm. Forty nine years later, right? Uh, so there's I Had a Dream by John Sebastian. We listen to that. That's kind of this uh, acoustic driving song, that kind of this lighter, folky I had a dream last night. What a lovely dream it was. It was kind of like airy fairy. Right? And they start this off. I wonder if they start, they kind of lull you into this this sense of like, oh, this is just a bunch of hippies, folk hanging out. And then it builds pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think it was because uh, he didn't appear that day, John, the first first day. So it's, So when you listen to it, it is not chronologically the way the performers played. Right. Yeah, we were talking about that. It's kind of, it's almost like, it's philosophically the right order because it ends with Jimmy. Yes. Right? A lot of it's kind of roughly in the right order, but there's definitely some artistic liberties taken with the, the exact order. It's not supposed to be a, a, a chronicling of the exact concert, right? It's only 21 songs. It's only two hours. And there was 30 something hours of music the whole time. So it's definitely not an exact order. But uh, then it, it quickly picks things up with Canned Heats going up the country, which is this big hitting, has solos of all sorts of different instruments and kind of. Yeah, picks up pretty quick with the, the energy. It has these like guitar solos, lots of fuzz. I wasn't a great rock enthusiast. Oh, okay. And so I, but I like Iron Butterfly. I was trying to think some of the in a God of Vida. Yeah. And some other rock albums that 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 I had and that I liked. But it introduced me to rock. Oh, okay. I really liked Jimi Hendrix. Sure. And so I got Jimi Hendrix albums after that. Although I really liked listening to Richie Havens. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any of his albums. But this the the fact that it was on this album was something that was introductory oh, to rock. Absolutely. It was yeah. uh it was a whole different thing this improvisational thing. Okay. That he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have some Richie Havens, some Country Joe and the Fish, a couple songs by them, and then Arlo Guthrie, who was one of your would you say favorite artists or an artist? Oh, you were I think I with? fell in love with him right there away. There you go, there you go, playing coming into Los Angeles, which is this kind of fun acoustic solo. And we should say at the time it it's stereo now because it's been remastered a few times, but at the time it was all mono or at least mono left and right, which might be getting too technical. It's something you probably never thought about when listening to this. I'm guessing, mom. That's right. Uh, but yeah, it has a guitar solo that goes from the left side to the right side to the left side. But yeah, it's it's something that didn't exist until a few years ago. So we don't even need to get into why that made this album stand out. As much as these songs transcend time, a lot of them, right? These are very timeless 
or at least iconic songs that can withstand time. Uh, at the end of the song, I believe it's Arlo Guthrie who's talking into the mic. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's it's an organizer or anything comes up, and every other word is man or you dig cat cat, which just seems like the most stereotypical. Like, oh, he's a he's a hippie. They're all hippies. Yeah, it's far out, man. Like how many of you can dig how many people there are, man? Like I was rapping to the fuzz. <laughs> right? Can you dig it? Man, it's supposed to be a man and a half people here by tonight. Can you dig that? New York State Thruway is closed, man. <laughs> so I guess that is a part to me that before this song, so even just the first four or five songs, I was like, there's a lot of silence, a lot of crowd noise. And when he starts talking, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is a time capsule. That's what this is. This is capturing more than just the music. Oh, I think so. Because he says, hey, man, can you dig it? Yeah. The New York Thruway, he called yeah. it Thruway, Thruway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is closed, man. Man, can you dig? You know, he that's the, the way he talked. But yeah. that that's what caused many of the artists not to show up. And they they, right. they actually, um, the Army helicoptered many of them in. Wow. It was interesting when I looked at the playlist of the yeah. actual festival. Right. Arnold Guthrie actually sang three songs. He sang Coming Into Los Angeles, which is the only one that's on the album. Right. Walking Down the Line. And he sang Amazing Grace. Oh, okay. I like Amazing Grace. Not an Grace. original. <laughs> I know. I like Amazing Grace. I would have enjoyed. I've heard him sing that. Okay. I, I, but I did not know that was on that. Wow. On the album. That's cool. Uh, and then we get into Shanana, which to me I was kind of shocked because I'd never taken a dive into the Shanana catalog. Uh, but Shanana surprised me because it sounded more like a 50s song than a, a 60s, 70s song in the sense that it was more like, it was almost like rockabilly like Chuck Berry-ish, right? It was just like early rock music. This It sounded like the Happy Days theme song, right? The Rock Around the Clock Tonight almost. To me, I, I just think of Jimmy. I still, and I think even after all this, it definitely broadened my horizon and my awareness of this with a lot of The Who Santana, Crosby, Stills, Nash, Sly, Jefferson Airplane. We'll get into those. But I think I was just shocked at how diverse the music was as soon as Sean and I came out. I was like, oh, this is this is not hippie rock. This is different. This is polished. This is they're pretending to be something they're not almost is what I thought when Sean and I came on. I was interested in the success of the people who performed afterwards. So I sure. did a little bit sure. of re- research on that. And a couple of things I learned is that um, Jimi Hendrix his team said that he wouldn't perform for under $100,000. Jimmy's Jimmy. I know. And they they kept changing it and changing it, and they would argue back and forth with the producers. And finally, he got $18,000. Okay. And I don't know. That might be $100,000. That's probably way more than $100,000. And when he asked now, for $100,000, yeah. uh, he maybe th- has, was thinking in 2010, money. 2018 yeah. money. You yeah, know, that, that, that Forward thinking. He was. He was. But anyway, he had some stipulations, and one of the stipulations was he had to be the last performer. Wow. Jimmy, pre-Madonna. But here's the sad part. So this part. is literally pre-Madonna also. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you are good. My son. Oh, that's terrible. I hate myself. All right. Uh, but because he had to be the last artist, mm-hmm. he probably was heard by the least number of people. Really? It was the last day, and, and most of them were gone. 
Wow. Even though, knew, even though he was the headliner and one of the biggest yes. artists, obviously. At the yes. Time, people were just out yeah. of it. I guess three days living in mud. It's time to go home. Yes. Yes. Wow. And, and, and just it, interesting to see what some of the salaries were because you mentioned Sha Na Na. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there were only two other performers and there were 29 performers mm-hmm. that made less. He made $700 on the concert. The Shana and I did, not he, but the group. I've made that much money in a show. Okay. Obviously, this is 50 years ago. <laughs> Jimmy made 18000 I've not made 18000 Okay. <laughs> Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Sure. 15000 And they're wow. not on the album. Wow, yeah. But Santana, whose career soared afterwards, made $750. And this was, wow. 1969. Wow. And we should we looked this up when we were listening to it. This is uh, right after he recorded Black Magic Woman, but before it was released, or some, some yes. sometime early in the Santana days. Uh, that he that you know he was obviously not as big as he would become, but he was just kind of on the come up. So still seven fifty, not a lot of money for for a giant band like Santana no. was even then. But yeah, th- we did talk about the bands briefly. We should mention the bands that were omitted from the album and even from the the film. Uh, which were huge bands at the time. The band, actually, as well as Creedence Clearwater, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, you mentioned. Uh, there was The Grateful Dead. Uh, yes, can which, you believe that? There's an interview with Jerry Garcia in the film, but they didn't... You watched the entire film this week. I wasn't able to watch the whole thing, but the reasons were different, right? Some of them didn't like the sound. I think most of it is they didn't like the sound. The, 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 you know, because it's 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 live. Right. It, it's not... Uh, in done in a recording studio, right, and right. they didn't like that. Some were just annoyed that somebody got top billing. Sure. Uh, yeah. This it's interesting. This was uh, Neil Young's first performance with the band, with Crosby, Stills, Nash. Crosby, Still Nash. Right, right, right. Because they were popular, but not Neil Young, and uh, I think it had a major effect on his his career. Interesting. Janis Joplin. She was a hero of mine. Did she play? Yes, oh, she's but not she's on not the on the album. album. Gosh, only, there's only one twenty-one tracks. Me and Bobby McGee. I mean, why? Wow, jeez. All right, so let's get, let's keep going. Uh, the next one was surprised. I had to blush a little bit with my mom in the room because it starts with the call and response from uh, from good old country Joe McDonald screaming F U C K, and the crowd screaming it back to him. What's that spell? What's Which jumps into this. Uh, I feel like I'm fixing to die. Rag. Rag. And it's this the fish cheer, what do they call it, which is this anti-war song. Mm-hmm. Or one of the lines uh, in it is, be the first in your block to have your boy come home in a box. And it's it's a really fascinating song that I had not heard before. And I, I just, as soon as I heard that line, I dove into the lyrics, read them a couple times, and listened to that song because it's it's satire of glorifying wartime and, and how we say, like, oh, my boy's going overseas or my friend is going overseas and is this great glorious thing right it represents the difference between world war ii and vietnam louder well when i think of the reasons that i always liked war movies part of it was that glory and, yeah. and my uh my son is a hero my husband yeah. is a hero it's this and honorable we're gonna, thing to do we're gonna fight the evil exactly some, some, something that was real evil or something that was going to hurt us and and uh but vietnam was different this was country joe without the fish oh, okay uh the country joe and the fish and the right, fish also right, right, right. recorded uh 
an earlier song, but this was yes. this this was Country Joe without the fish. And I had heard the F word all my life mm-hmm. in my home. But I didn't think it could ever be on a on a record album. Right. I thought there would be laws against that and, 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 and stuff. But the chorus is it well, it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Don't ask me. I don't give a damn. Yeah. Next stop is Vietnam. It's five, six, seven. Open up your pearly gates. There ain't no time to wonder why. Whoopee! I'm going to die. Now, yeah. that's got to be when you when you hear the chorus, you know it's satirical, right? And so he he moves up and and talks about people who um, are going to go to Vietnam, who are being drafted. So put down your books, pick up a gun. We're going to have a lot of fun. Again, by just by the way that he exaggerates, right? You know it's satirical. Then he moves on to the generals. And this is, you know, and, and and to the establishment, they're going to be making money from this war. And then the, the last verse is what you mentioned. And it starts out, come on, mothers, throughout the land, pack your boys off to Vietnam. Come on, fathers, don't hesitate. Send them off before it's too late. You could be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in a box. Now come on, mothers throughout the land, pack your boys off to Vietnam. Come on, fathers, don't hesitate, but send your sons off before it's too late. Be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in a box. All right. One, that was probably the the lyric, the thing that changed my life that thought that this, for me, yeah. was the, the best album. Because oh, uh, that happened to me. My boy didn't come home in a box. Right. But... I saw people who came home in a box. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and the response to that. Yeah. I, I, I met them uh, probably about um, a year after Woodstock. Uh, I met a young man who, who uh, he came home and his brother said, oh, I want to get him a date. Will you be his date? for?" And this man literally got off the airplane and saw me. And uh, we became friends and we talked. But one of the things he talked about that I'd never, ever thought about or just some, he told me about real experiences. He told me, and this really struck me, that he had bad vision like I did. I could relate to that. Mm-hmm. He could never take his glasses off. So he couldn't sleep without his glasses on because he might be attacked. Wow. So when they were at, say I never even thought about that as, as war. Yeah, you think you're going to sleep in a nice bed and then you'll go out and fight, but uh, because it was a guerrilla warfare thing, he could be sleeping outside in the in the swamp, yeah, or in a nice place, and yet, and he had been through attacks who woke him up, sure, sure. and I that just brought home that it wasn't an experience of glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jeez. Uh, then we have the next song. Uh, by one of your favorites, Joan Baez. Yes. Uh, which is Drugstore, Truck Driving Man, which again is one of those songs that a lot of lyrics we can dive into has different meanings, uh, kind of depending on which which part you look at. But funny, the beginning, or I guess interesting, the beginning they dedicate it to Ronald Reagan's. And that's the way they pronounce it. Who was it. the governor of California at the time. I think that at that point he had yes, been he governor, was. right? He wasn't just a movie star. What an interesting life that guy led. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but yeah, the chorus of that is, he's a drugstore truck driving man. He's the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, when summer rolls around, we'll be lucky to get out of town, which is the idea that he's the he's the local guy who's kind of uh, reporting hippies and reporting anti-establishment, countercultural people to the FBI, to the authorities, right? And kind of lying about these people, setting them up. 
he's the he's a disc jockey yes. uh, playing these tunes Thank you, yes. at night. But really, he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan and other things. So he's yeah. really, like you say, reporting. So if they should come to town yeah. and record or, or play show, or, or play or show yeah, yeah, yeah. they would be lucky to get out of there. Right, that. right. He sleeps by the door. He's a drugstore truck driving man. He's the head of the Ku Klux Klan. When summer comes rolling around, we'll be lucky to get out of town. Uh, and then we have another Joan Baez. We have Joe Hill, which that you get that crazy Baez vibrato throughout the whole song. Uh, and then we have some a whole chunk of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young on a couple of those as well. The first time, like you said, the first time that, that Young had ever played with them. And I, I didn't look this for sure, but I'm pretty sure of all of the artists that are on the album, they have more songs than anybody else that are on the album. On this album, yeah, yeah. They didn't sing more songs right. than anybody else. Certainly, I think the Who sung over twenty sets. Wow, wow, <laughs> or twenty songs, but but only one is recorded. Jeez, and again, Jimmy's at the end. It's thirteen and a half minutes long, but he plays three ish songs. Yes, so it's, it's one track, but this is separated into three different tracks. So yeah, uh, which again, you get um, "Sweet Judy Blue Eyes," "Sea of Madness," and "Wooden Ships," which my my bar cover band that I was in for five or six years, play, we ended every single one of our shows with wooden ships. And we, I think their version, their live long version, which, you know, with, has a bunch of guitar solos and crazy uh, time changes in it, is six minutes long. The, the Soda Creek version of this song was the shortest time. And I used to time it, it was 14 and a half minutes long. Wow. We had at least four guitar solos in this song. A lot of time changes. It was pretty fun to play. But yeah, definitely one of my favorite songs in the album because of that. Some good memories from that song. On the shoreline, let us be very free. Uh, then we have The Who. One track from The Who, We're Not Gonna Take It. Uh, were you a big Who fan of the, those days? Or was um, it just kind of introducing you to The, the Who? Yes. I had heard their, I think that I had heard their song, but that we're not going to take it. It has to include um, See Me, Heal Me, Mm -hmm. all that. Or See Me, Feel Me in Listening to You. Oh, sorry. The other song is, you're right. It's See Me, Feel Me is the name of that song. And then the other song that they do at the end is Listening to You. Okay. The See Me, Feel Me, Hear Me. Yeah. And what I heard from that was Listen to Me establishment listen to me uh nixon who's in charge of of killing people <laughs> he was the president at the time yeah so that's what that meant it later became part of the um opera tommy right you were wondering which one came first we found out tommy came out i think in the 90s so it was a while later that that came mm-hmm. out but yeah so it was uh it was verifying uh my feeling that that i had a voice and right. i could say no Stop it. Yeah. See me, I feel matter. me, hear me. I matter. But but what I say matters. Yeah. This war is wrong. The mistreatment of everybody is wrong right. here in the United States. And you know what? Probably the majority of people that I saw, that's another thing about the war. The majority of people that were fighting that war that I saw on TV were African Americans. They weren't white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Right. The majority of people fighting World War II were white folks. Because you know why? The black folks weren't allowed to fight it. They could be the cooks. 
They could be the mechanics. Right. They could carry the ammunition to the ship, but not get on it. Toward the end, there were a few. It was uh, segregated. They were black uh, soldiers that fought uh, in Italy and other places, too. And I've I've read uh, and and seen uh, the folks that were African-American that that were in Vietnam, or excuse me, that were in World War II, talking about the fact that when they came home, they had fought the freedom of America and they came home with Jim Crow laws right. they were not free lynching was still legal throughout the south and then African Americans who did a great deal of the fighting in Vietnam mm-hmm. came home in the 70s and they had fought for our freedom which uh, you know we weren't enslaved sure sure we weren't being uh attacked right right we were going to another country we were going to another country but they but but that's the reason they were told they were protecting us yeah uh and they came back and the civil rights was young and uh and the civil rights act hadn't been passed until the i think late 60s maybe maybe 67 68 uh and yet when it was passed i was there and I don't remember any great freedom that they got right away. Right. Right. Uh, and yeah, this is the track. The end of the Who song is the one that there's a minute and a half, almost two minutes of this emergency announcement by one of the promoters who declares it as a free concert from now on, which I think was kind of their way of saying, stop tearing down the fences. <laughs> stop just like, stop trying to skirt around the law. Just be peaceful. Enjoy the show. Right. And that was interesting uh, as far as being peaceful. That whenever you uh, read anything of, historically about this, is the fact that a half a million people, close to a half a million people, were there, and they weren't fighting with each other. Right. And they were there for day and night, and there wasn't good sanitation. There wasn't yeah. enough food. Not a lot of porta potties. There was not enough porta potties. When I read a little bit about more about it, I found that townspeople, the army. Uh, various other organizations brought food in. Oh, wow. Probably Salvation Army, because they usually are right there doing that. So they, they uh, made the announcement, it's now free. Yeah. Uh, I think if they tried to move people out, it could have hurt a lot of people. Right. Uh, right. Supposedly, only two people died during oh, wow. those. So, uh, Which, again, that's two people. It's a lot. Right. But for the amount of chaos that you can see in this film... That is actually a shocking low amount. Well, the one first one that died was a drug overdose. Okay. The majority of medical events that the me, the medics treated over four thousand was wow. drug. Oh, I think like dehydration. Would one. That would not, be a big not a lot one of water too. bottles. I'm guessing back. No, nope, there weren't. Nobody had water bottles <laughs> right, right. ever. Calistoga wasn't a big company yet. No, uh, and then the other one was uh, a fellow who was asleep in his sleeping bag, and a tractor ran over him. Yikes. That's terrible. Um, Joe Cocker's with a little help from my friends, which is the Beatles cover, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which that's the song that ends with a minute and a half long recording of the rainstorm, and you just hear. It's very enveloping 
And I think that's maybe the coolest thing about this album compared to most live albums that it's so unique. You have the rain, you have the people yelling, you have all the PA announcements, and you just hear this. We looked at the video of this one because you were telling me about Cocker's arms, right? And he has this crazy arms going the whole time, and it's it's one of those performances you have to see live because you don't just get it from his this kind of mumbling lyrics. And it has this huge ending. It ends with this like a few minutes of PA announcements, and then you have just silence, or I guess not silence, but just rain. That was very striking to kind of to dedicate two minutes to rainstorm because that was such a big part of the weekend. Oh, I think that that caused a lot of things. Uh, one yeah. thing is the announcement uh, at, during that was "Don't move, stay where you are." Right? Please stop. Yeah, we're not going to try to move you out. Yeah, 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 just just I think they used the words "hunker down." Yeah, yeah. If people tried to get out, people could get have gotten trampled. I think. Uh, and the other thing is what probably caused. A huge amount of the damage, the property damage. Oh yeah. You have close to a half a million people. And this is farmland. Yes. This isn't empty fields of nothing. Like people are trying to grow stuff on this, and the fields were destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we uh, moving to Santana. We were talking about him earlier, but yeah, the the first three minutes of this track, which again, you, if you're listening to this album, even certain songs on this album, you need to be patient. Because there's three minutes of this 13-minute song that are just chants from the audience. And it moves into this back and forth between the congas that Santana's band are playing and the crowd and people drum. You don't. It's, it's hard to know, even when you're watching the, the video of this song, if it's the crowd that's making these drumming sounds or if it's Santana's band. And it slowly morphs into a version, a long, long, long version of Soul Sacrifice, Santana's song. You hear a crowd drumming. You hear Santana drumming. He he ends up drumming and playing guitar. And the the drummer has a bunch of drum solos. It's a it's a crazy song that we watched most of it. We watched the the video of it. It's it's, it's an amazing track. Well, it was new music to the white middle class sure. kids. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 that were there, and so uh, to see the, their reaction to it, they were excited. They were hyped by this. Yeah. Yeah, and this is Mexican American, this kind of Latin fusion rock music with this this kind of Latin feel with these crazy electric guitar solos that Santana's famous for. Definitely kind of unique to the the Woodstock stage for sure. But remember, this is the fella who's himself and his band got seven hundred dollars. Right. And his career really zoomed after that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he was having hits even into the '90s and early 2000s, right? Oh, I think his, his biggest album is probably Supernatural, which was the one with obviously we all How know about Smooth. I was just gonna say we all know Smooth with Rob Thomas. That's his biggest hit ever, and that was 30, 40 years after the Woodstock. And I think that we were partial growing up raising kids. I was partial because Santana lived in yeah. near me. Yeah, we saw him in a couple times in, in in California. We saw him a couple times. I saw him picking up burgers in the same um, shopping mall that I worked at, the mailbox store or whatever. He was picking up burgers at Best Burger. Uh, so yeah, I always had a special connection. Me and me and Carlos, we go way yes. back for sure. Uh, and then we have some uh, 10 Years After, I'm Going Home, uh, which is this lightning fast solo at the beginning uh, that moves into almost that rockabilly chubby checker 50s rock and roll song. Uh, and then we have Jefferson Airplane, which I dove into uh, Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, and all these things. That's one of those bands that has millions of connections 
as far as all of the people in Jefferson Airplane did all of these other things, and all of those things became great. It's one of those Wikipedia family trees that you can just keep diving into and keep clicking on things. Uh, but yeah, that was the very anthemic Volunteers of America song that again gets into that, that anti-war theme that's kind of amazing to have throughout the entire weekend. But also, another connection to you growing up. Grace Slick lived. Yeah, a lot of Bay Area connections, in, obviously. In the same yeah. town that we lived in right. for a while. Right, right, right. But interesting, I think of one of the most famous songs of the, they sang eight songs of the set, would be White Rabbit. Yeah. And yeah. they didn't record that yeah. for the album. And that's what, I mean, there's so many other CSN songs that they did not put on here that they played there. And they, they did that with a lot of these. We keep coming back to that, right? The fact that here's a bunch of songs and artists that they did not put on this album. And I, I think that it's it's remarkable because you could, it could just be a greatest hits, right? If you'd said, oh, my, my favorite song or my favorite album ever, Ben, is Tom Petty's Greatest Hits, then I would have rolled my eyes mm-hmm. and been like, oh. I almost did when you said it's Woodstock. And I, my, I think my first response was, what Woodstock album? Because <laughs> <laughs> all of these bands we're talking about have released the Woodstock album, their performance live, right? So it almost is like every single one of these 21 or however many artists are on here, 15 or so, have individual albums that if you like the song, you can go hear the whole thing. But the fact that it's, just these performances that a lot of them isn't even their most famous song is very notable because it's not just your greatest hits. It's these songs from this moment in time are why this album is so great. And not even like why this movie is so great, but because the movie even has more songs, but why this, this album is so great. It's not just, it's not just a greatest hits, right? Well, and in thinking about it, I, these, this is live performances. So white rabbit probably needed, needs, needs to be produced in a recording studio oh, to yeah. get the, to get the effects and sure. so maybe it didn't play as well to put on the album i don't know about that i just i just happened to to think of that that's a good point yeah i'm sure there's a lot of songs that were that also the people that released their woodstock albums mm-hmm. that probably wasn't their live performance do you think that maybe many of them it was either re-recorded or they played around with the live performance to be sure that everything. There was, I, I can't remember one artist, at least a couple of artists that refused to let their performance go on the album. Fogarty was one of them. Fogarty. John Fogarty from, from CCR. Because they didn't think the sound was good enough. Right, 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 right. Yeah, true. Musicians, I you know? know? They're the worst. They are. Yeah, as, as I'm sitting in front of my four amps and seven guitars or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're the worst. Prima donna. Yeah, they really are. Uh, anyway, we get into after Jefferson Airplane, we get some Sly and the Family Stone, uh, three tracks by them. Uh, is that right? Yes, yeah, three a fourteen a fourteen minute long version of of dance music, music lover, and want to take you higher. Which I think I want to take you higher ends with this long like call and response between solos, this kind of call and response from the stage to the crowd with a huge long jam and a bunch of like a whole horn section of trumpets and horns and all this other sorts of stuff. It introduced me to Sly. Oh, okay. And I loved it. Yeah. Oh, nice. And here's a rock song that, you know, so I bought his album. And because I was also very, very involved in uh, civil rights stuff. Yeah. Everyday people. Right. Of course. Stood out. Stood out to me. And uh, so I was always interested in some of the things that he did, some of his tunes. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we have going back to John B. Sebastian, Rainbows All Over Your Blues, and then Love March by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. And then ending with a f- almost 14-minute long medley of Jimi Hendrix jams, which this these are, like I said before, these are the ones I was most familiar with. We have the Star-Spangled Banner. He actually had 16 songs on his on his set list. Really? Yeah. It, it included Foxy Lady. I would have put Foxy Lady on it. Okay. I know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it included um, Hey Joe, Purple Haze, Gypsy Woman, things that I might. And, and again, I don't know why they they didn't weren't included on the album. It it could have been the artist himself saying, "This is all that I will let you put on," mm-hmm. or it could have been they didn't come over well on their sound system. But certainly, the Star Spangled Banner was not only really fantastic because he's a fantastic guitar man right but had to be one of the most controversial songs yeah well look at what we're dealing with now with a president who uh talks about the importance of standing up when you hear the star spangled banner Mm. he doesn't even know the words of the star spangled banner he mumbles through them and the other thing is that he had to be pushed by his wife one time to even put his hand over the, his heart because other people were were doing that. And she's not a Native mm-hmm. American. And to say that kneeling when you hear that is disrespectful. Yeah. In other words, praying during the Star Spangled Banner being disrespectful. I mean, that just doesn't jive with me. And so, but but think of the people now who think that, who agree with what Trump has said, that if Somebody is praying during the Star Spangled Banner. Please excuse what I say. Then their owner should kick the son of a bitch out. Yeah. Uh, So I was dealing with the same thing at the time of here is uh, an artist playing the Star Spangled Banner, not standing up sometimes and and throwing his guitar a little bit, you know, changing it. Yeah. And and then, of course, it became a, a wonderful thing for us hippies. But even at the time, right, with the people that were there playing the Star Spangled Banner, this yeah. patriotic song of war written in a in during a battle on American soil, these were anti-war protesters here. So there there are boos, there's un, there's kind of indecision, not everyone's cheering on this song. And then halfway through when he gets to uh over the ramparts we watched, he starts kind of using that the, this bombing effect with his fuzz pedal and his reverb and delays and his his tremolo arm, right, or as you call the whammy bar. He spends a lot of time, I don't know how many minutes for that part, and it's almost as if you are hearing bombs. It's amazing. And all of a sudden, it's not the War of 1812. Right. It is what's happening now. It's ugly. It's dirty. Yeah. It's, it's broken. And, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see this patriotic song. Um, done amazingly, right? I mean, it, as far as yes. note for note, it's the song, but done in a way that's so vivid and and illustrative, in a way that elicits these visuals and these dark feelings when it's supposed to be this uplifting, inspiring song. Um, was this it's in its in its own way a protest? Absolutely. And he he came on at a time that was it was completely rained out, and he just stood up there, plugged his guitar in, and that's at least the story. The way it goes is came up there and, and almost it wasn't on a set list but it was just kind of i don't know if that's true uh but almost you know just kind of went in there plugged in and plays played the star spangled banner in a way that was um improvised and was done it's one of the most famous guitar solos of all time absolutely 
Uh, and it, it was it was a protest to not only that song, but to to the country and to war. Probably more we can get into with, with, with Kaepernick and Eric Reed and Michael Bennett and I mean, all of these football players as well. But I think you said it very well. So, uh, yeah, move on to Purple Haze. And then this just, again, he has two of the most famous solo, guitar solos of all time in one performance. The other one is the, the last five minutes of this track, which is just this instrumental solo. And it's it's I mean, just billed as the, his Woodstock, the Woodstock solo for, for Hendrix. And it's amazing. The fact that. I think just to kind of sum up everything for me, the fact that when we were listening to this album, we could Google any of this and find the visuals of it because of this amazing film that was made is awesome for a, a concert that was filmed 50 years ago to be able to find any track and see the, the, the video by, or to see the actual show was, was pretty awesome. And it's not just, I guess 50 years from now, you'll see any, you know, if you Google a performance from right now, 50 years from now, you'll see 5,000 different phones recording it, which would be cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, you know, from the 60s to have a live performance would be, to have the video of a live performance is rare in itself, but to have all, however many performers and all of these amazing songs available visually is is pretty amazing feat. Well, the producer, when he did this, he got a whole bunch of cameramen, a whole bunch of directors and things like that. They actually rented out an entire motel. That's how many people that he had doing that. And Mm -hmm. so even though they were what we think of is that they were filming the concert. He had other people going to look for stories. And so they, they were, they were looking for stories, uh, talking to, um, townspeople, the majority of people that are on the film that they talked to, the townspeople did not think negatively about these kids. That's cool. That's really cool. They had a few that did. And, uh, and they, which is nice that they filmed both. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we talked about the historical significance, the kind of the influences. Do you have a favorite song on the album? I, I, when I thought about it, I decided it was I, the "I'm Fixing to Die" rag. Oh, they, okay, which we got into, and we we did get into it. We don't yeah. need to talk anymore. About sure, it. sure, yeah. And then, do you think that there's uh, a best song that would be kind of more, maybe more objectively, or would that be the same song you think that kind of summarizes the whole album? Would it be Hendrix or Richie Havens? Yeah, you think so? That kind of stand out. That would be the ones that are like, oh, this withstood the test of time musically, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And Richie Havens would be the, the freedom, freedom. Yeah, and and in it, he also adds. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Mm-hmm. That's the lyrics of that is in there too. Yeah, um, and then Hendrix more than Purple Haze. Another thing is, as far as something that really stands out, how it was a a caption, a picture of what was happening. Yeah, in in America. We've talked way too long because we're the Helms family and that's what we do. Uh, you taught me well. Uh, so thank you, Mom, for introducing me to this album, to Woodstock, for for raising me, I guess, anti-war, I guess, or, or, or to, teaching me the ideals that led me to become a pacifist to make that choice myself. So thank you for all of that. Anything else you want to say about this album or about... No, but I'll tell you, I'm just really happy to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for being You're my baby. I am the baby. That's true. And you will always be the baby. That's true. So thanks so much for being (laughs) on the show. And if people want to find you, they can just find me at the Ben Helms on Twitter. And I'll send a telegram to my mom. And she can answer any questions, (laughs) comments, or concerns you might have about, about the episode. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. 
Thanks so much for listening to Best Album Ever, a part of the Overthink Podcast Network. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the Podcast Network. And if you're really feeling generous, go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. That'd help us out in a big way and would help us create more content to share with you as well. Uh, as always, you can check out our website at theoverthink.com. And our handle is at OverthinkPod pretty much everywhere else. So go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. That would help us by spreading the word. Uh, we're always interested in hearing from our listeners, so please drop us a line and let us know what you think of the show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, etc. cetera. Uh, maybe even if you want to suggest some topics or shows or movies or music uh, that you want us to cover on a podcast, our email address is overthinkpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks so much for stopping by.